Bronwyn, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting us back. Bronwyn, when we talk about lab-grown meat, what do we actually mean? Well, it means basically what they've done is they've figured out a way to take cells, and this is what's really interesting. It doesn't have to be the cell of the, the intended animal product if you want to eat the end of the day, and then convert them in a lab, much the same way they're able to actually create embryos, for example, in human beings for in vitro fertilization using sort of any cell in your body. So basically what they're doing is they're taking these starter cells and they are genetically changing them and then using them to effectively ferment in the laboratories and to turn into a piece of meat that never was an animal. So you can have your cow and eat it too. If you are someone that's a vegetarian, say for ethical reasons, but you do miss a good steak, your future will allow you to have both your steak and not have any steak in factory farming, for example. So, I mean, it it is a contradiction in terms here because if we look at how we have grown animals, I mean, we know we've grown sheep, we've grown uh, mice, all out of, as you say, cells which are taken from the original animal and then grown in a laboratory. The assumption then is that it is not an animal because it was not um, to, to use like very basic terms because it was not born from an animal and yet the very nature of it being um, taken from the cell of an animal means that it is still animal. Yeah, this is where we start getting into distinctions in, in ethics and which is becomes a much more personal conversation because where we draw the line across morality is of course very, very grey. I mean, just take, of course, the, the abortion debate, right? I mean, it depends on when you believe that life starts, how, what sort of stance you will take, and that mm. follows logically. But it's impossible for us to come up with definitive answers on that, right? When, is, when does a creature or a living cell become a living being is really the question that's being interrogated here. And as you alluded to in your intro, it opens up all sorts of interesting questions around halal and kosher, for example. Like if this animal never lived, this is clearly not a problem that was covered in our ancient holy texts, right? Yeah. So it goes to show these are very personal questions and society is going to have to come up with new norms for it. But what is very clear is in these lab-grown processes, the end product is nutritionally indistinguishable from the product that you would get from actually killing an animal in order to get that product, or not even the case of killing animals, also in the case of other animal products, things like lab-grown eggs and milk and dairy, also things that are on the cards at the moment. So if your concerns around eating those products are around treatment of a sentient being or of cruelty or in terms of, of any sort of form of suffering, from a sort of other sorts of religious perspectives, yeah. if you come more from like the Buddhist say, perspective, looking at suffering and, and sentience and those sorts of things, you can now eat those sort of guilt-free. But that's not to say that it doesn't have interesting theological and moral questions. And it also opens up all sorts of conversations around, can you call yourself a vegetarian if you eat lab-grown meat? Do you need a new word for that? Or should these things be categorized, for example, as halal and kosher? If you can grow, say, bacon in a lab, it doesn't even come from a poor science starter cell. It might have actually come from a, a starter cell of a fully kosher animal. So these are debates that have been taking place in very sort of theological circles at the moment. And the answers are not as clear-cut as you might think because because our norms, our values are made up. They are not absolute. We're not talking about maths here. We're talking about things that make us feel disgusted or that make us feel comfortable or that make us feel safe. And we haven't really thought about these things yet. But these technologies means that we have to come up with new norms. 
So when we say that um, there is a debate around it, how, you know, where, where is that debate going? Because ultimately, you know, this may become more and more and more of, uh, of a value for the economy. We, I mean, I read uh, oh, yeah. in the article that this could really just explode with regards to cultivated meat. I mean, where is that debate happening? Is it happening in um, the mosques and in the shuls with the imams and the rabbis? <laughs> is it happening? Um, where, whereabouts does it take place? Well, it's starting to take place everywhere. You see, this is a trend that we've been tracking for probably the better part of a decade. And it's kind of on the weird fringes. But it's taking place in both uh, traditional sort of religious circles and also on social media, for example. I mean, we got into, we, we posed the question ourselves, actually, when we published this article that you referred to, when you called yeah. us to talk about this issue on social media. And we actually got a rabbi to comment. He said that if it doesn't have a poor sign starter cell, then it could technically be covered classified as kosher, but there's no sort of clear reference in the text. Now, some religions are more open to sort of uh, amending or continuing the theological tradition by adding addendums to what they've currently got. Other religious groups are more sort of closed, and you have to go back and make inferences, which means that the decision likely falls to the official religious bodies, whether it's sort of the Vatican and the Catholic circles or to certain, to certain circles of rabbis in the Jewish faith, whatever it might be, right? But what is quite interesting in this particular case is that some of the first uh, big developments in that growing niche actually came out of Israel, which is obviously a tech startup leading space, both in hardware technology, software technology, and biotechnology, where where all these things are kind of converging at the moment. And there was recently in the news, I think in the last couple of weeks, a rabbi that had said that lab grown meat, he wasn't talking about otherwise prohibited meat, say, for example, pork, cool. but talking about meat that would, would be permitted in the Jewish faith if they had been prepared in a kosher manner could still be considered kosher. So in other words, he was talking about the preparation rather than the product could be considered a kosher method of preparation because kosher is not just about the sort of animal. Obviously, it's also to do with how the animal has been reared and slaughtered and prepared and all the rest of it. So lab growing is a is, according to him, should be a kosher, kosher method. Other rabbis have disagreed, and this is why we are we're going to still have to find a new consensus going forward, but it is really interesting that even now serious conversations, not just taking place on weird corners of Reddit. Absolutely. Internet, it's yeah. become mainstream. It has to be, because these products have now been legalized at a, at a national level. I think the big breakthrough there was the FDA in the USA, which many other countries look to for basically standards of human consumption, yeah. who has declared these products to be healthy and safe for, for human consumption. So now that those sort of economic taps and regulatory taps are open, uh, the, the more sort of human conversations need to take place. You know, Bronwyn, um, I, I'm trying to think of the image of it. Um, and, and I'm wondering, when we say lab-grown meat, so it could be lab-grown chicken, it could be lamb beef, it could be lamb, whatever the case may be, um, based on a cell, whatever, from whichever animal that yes. might have been. But it does it, when it's grown, <laughs> does it just come out like a steak? Well, it depends what they train it to do, right? I mean, like scientists can grow things like, and we know this, it's yeah. because it is for many, many decades, they can grow ears on a mouse, right? Mm. They can turn they can turn skin cells into a functional embryo, right? As yeah. so, but what they, what most of them are doing, or at least I can definitely talk to Zanzi um, Meat, who's based in Cape Town here in South Africa, what they're doing is they are growing essentially meatballs, or it could be like a burger patty, which I think makes a lot more sort of sense, right? But others are growing things that actually look like a steak, right? So it depends on what they what they kind of program those little cells to do. And of course, biology has come a long way, and you know about 
mRNA vaccines. I mean, like it's basically we're tapping into that sort of sort of frontier of biology that we can actually program a cell to become what we want it to be, whether we want it to be a piece of uh, apparent bone or a piece of marrow or a piece of fat. I mean, this is where we're going. We're going to be able to program these things to to grow just what we want, like a, a chicken wing that looks like a chicken wing, but there were no chickens sort of harmed in the production of that particular piece of meat. So in theory, we can get to all those things. In practice, where we are right now is essentially lethal. So, uh, I mean, you, you know, you say that and we'd use the term and I need to go to a break and maybe you can think about it during the break is are we are we moving towards a world? You know, everybody's saying we need to be self-sufficient. We need to be off the grid. Mm. We need to have our Jojo water tank. We need to have our vegetable gardens. Are we going to have those meat gardens as well? Why not? These can sort of very small devices in your kitchen and you can grow it there. If you've watched the sort of more science fiction shows like Upload. Yeah. People in science fiction, writers have been thinking about this for some time. Okay, we're going to go to a break, but when I come back, I do have a question from one of our listeners wanting to understand um, the issue of PR when it comes to this kind of uh, lab-grown meat. 9.23, we're closing off with an interview on the concept of lab-grown meat and how it may impact our world moving into the future. We're chatting to Bronwyn Williams, trend researcher, market and writer at Flux Trends. And as she mentioned, there are um, South African companies, uh, the Mzanzi Meat Company and Mokhale Meat, that are working on this. Bronwyn, in in closing, one of our listeners, um, regular listener, Noel, has asked, um, does lab-grown meat have a PR problem? And I, I suppose this idea of how this is marketed and how this might... Um, be engaged with uh, uh, is, is going to be something absolutely critical. So it's not just the case of making the meat, but the question is, how do you then market it? And there, there's so many different angles one can come from. What's your take on that? Well, I think we're going to see various different marketing strategies with different products appealing to different target markets. Like there are some people out there who are early adopters and who would like to try these products simply because they are a new novel and grow in the lab. For other people, they would find that very same point to be uh, unappealing, right? Or even even totally disgusting. So we're going to see different strategies there. I think this is why, I mean, I've spoken to Brett, the owner of Zanzinit, on on several different sort of interviewing occasions in the past. And that's why they decided to go, for example, with the the sort of the the meatball kind of thing, because it's it's a product that already is processed. And that people are more comfortable with when they see it, it looks exactly the same as what they would get otherwise. And especially if it's like sold in, say, like a frozen food corner of the supermarket, uh, it's not going to feel very different when you take it home to your kitchen, for example. But you're going to see different different marketing strategies there and also opening up entirely new target markets. Like I mentioned earlier, meat for vegetarians or, or bacon for the halal market, you know, like entirely new categories that will require a whole new marketing story around them. But ultimately, this could actually open up these products to, to people that wouldn't have been consuming the original natural version in the first place. So as much as new stories are going to have to come out, I think that overall the market will adopt to them as soon as we, we sort of tailor the, tailor the message to whatever market you would be looking to, to target. Bronwyn Williams, thanks so much for joining us, a trade researcher, marketer and writer at Flux Trends. And